Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project podcast with Kareem Farah, Kate Gaskell, and me, Zach Diamond. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self-paced, and mastery-based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Hello and welcome to episode number 28 of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. My name is Kareem Farah. I am the co-founder and CEO of the Modern Classrooms Project. I'm joined today by two wonderful guests, Wesley McCammon and Taryn Edwards. Before we get started, I want to make sure they introduce themselves and share a little bit about their background, both with the model and their experience in the classroom. Wesley, go ahead and get started. Can you share a little bit about your experience in education up to this point? Hi, my name is Weston McCammon. I've been in education for about 24 years and been teaching the CTE courses at Eastern for about 10 years. I enjoy science fiction. I enjoy technology. And Modern Classrooms kind of fell in my lap because it was exactly what I wanted to do exactly when I needed it. And it fits so well with what I did already in CTE. It was just a perfect fit. Uh, We kind of married ourselves together and it was just absolutely wonderful. Awesome. And Wesley and I actually met at Eastern High School where I had helped kind of co-craft the model. And Wesley was already doing so many elements of the model. So we actually, I remember when I first started exploring the creation of instructional videos and you have like a YouTube video. I forgot what skill you taught that has like hundreds of thousands of views, 50,000 views on YouTube on a skill you taught in science. And it was one of the best instructional videos I've ever seen. (laughs) So um, arguably Wesley was doing elements of this model, if not the bulk of the model, before we ever came up with it. So it's wonderful to have you on as a veteran, and I'm excited for you to share your perspective in the CT world. So thanks for jumping on. I think we I think we kind of co-evolved at the same time. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And our other guest, Taryn Edwards. Taryn, can you share a little bit about your experience um, in education and also when you came in contact with the Modern Classroom Project? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Taryn Edwards. I am a third year teacher at TC Williams High School in Alexandria, Virginia. I teach AP US history and psychology and sociology. This is my second year teaching uh, APUSH. I was introduced to the Modern Classrooms Project during new teacher orientation when I met Bernadette Desario who with you in Eastern. And I remember just being in awe because as a first year teacher, you know, it just it's just being dumped into the deep end of the pool and you're just trying to, you know, make it to the edge. And so I was really looking for a structure for my classroom, right? It's my first classroom. Um, I'm in charge. And so I was really, really drawn to everything Bernadette had to say about the model, the self-pacing, the technology was really important to me as well. Not only as like a young teacher, I'm really into tech, but uh, I'm also a teacher without a classroom. I'm on a cart. And so I really, really relied on technology my first year. Um, So when I got the chance to apply for the fellowship program this past year, I was just really excited to be accepted. And it has made this absolutely bonkers year of teaching during a pandemic just a little bit better. So I'm really grateful that I jumped in when I did. Yeah, it's fantastic. Thanks, Taryn. And you you did learn from one of the best Bernadette Desario. And I and I like your perspective too, having kind of learned about it your first year teaching. I know that you didn't do it fully then, but you started to kind of experiment with some of the ideas and just kind of witness some of the powerful things that Desario was doing. And then over time really 
dove in head first and have been implementing. So it's an exciting journey. And two teachers with very different levels of experience and perspective, both doing the model beautifully. So I'm excited to actually have this conversation today, uh, largely around how modern classrooms really the model manifests in your college and career prep settings. So we have Taryn, who's an AP teacher, and then we have Wesley, who's actually a career in technology and education teacher, a CTE teacher, and that's a really powerful way to kind of see this model come to life. So the purpose of this discussion is to actually learn from both of these educators and experts about how they've implemented the Modern Classroom Project and why it's so valuable in their unique setting. So the first thing I kind of want to ask both of you is what does it mean to be prepared for college and careers? Because I think a lot of times uh, we enroll kids or kids enroll in sort of college or career classes, but we don't actually talk about the skills that they need to gather separate from the curriculum to be successful in those environments. So I'm going to start with you, Wesley. Can you share a little bit about what you think it means to be prepared for college and careers? Sure. The program that I teach in is biomedical science. And so the skills that I'm working on, besides the content, um, you know, the biomedical content, the medical knowledge that they need to have, they also need to have things like interviewing skills. They need to be able to present uh, facts and information. They need to be able to not be nervous talking in front of other people. And so all of those skills are really important in the career, well, in the college and career section part of, of what we do. I try to incorporate all sorts of those soft skills in not only the mastery checks, but also into the daily tasks that I require them to do. And so for them to be able to not be hesitant around sharing, to not be hesitant around being able to speak and present information and being able to be comfortable around people is a big part of what I do to get them ready for a career. Yeah. And, you know, it's so interesting that particularly because you're focused on the career setting, like immediately when you go into a career, you have to be able to communicate with the team. You have to be able to relate with others, which I think is a really powerful element of career prep that is oftentimes missing in K-12 education. There were so many students I taught who I felt like had never actually been pushed in that way. So I think that's a really powerful thing to isolate. Taryn, can you share a little bit about your perspective of, you know, through the AP setting and sort of those college prep style courses? what you think it means to be prepared for the college setting? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, you know, I'm pretty fresh out of college still. So, you know, I can definitely say from my perspective that my students are getting a lot of those self-regulating skills out of this model. And I really push that, that you are not only learning, you know, the AP US curriculum in my class, you are also learning how to set your own schedule. You are learning how to do work on your own time to do work when it best suits you and, you know, to manage yourself. And I think that a lot of classes don't necessarily provide that. I certainly didn't get any of those skills from my own high school experience. It was very uh, traditional. You sit down, you be quiet, you take notes, and then you leave. Um, We move on through the curriculum and then you're done. Whereas my students are really in charge of their own learning, which I think is going to translate extremely well to college. Right now, I, um, my, this is my first year doing the model outright. Like you mentioned, I did try to um, incorporate some aspects of it before I did my fellowship because it you know, was so appealing. But I've already seen with my juniors this year that have gone on, we're in a four by four setting right now. And so they're on to other classes, but they, you know, they still 
email me. They still text me on Remind and talk about how setting their own schedule has been so helpful and they've learned how to ask questions. And I think all of that is going to translate to a college setting beautifully. Yeah, I think you've highlighted a lot of key elements of why this model supports um, being prepared for life after high school. And we'll dig in deeper to kind of what about the model actually does that. I want to first kind of hone in on the fact that you, you even mentioned this, Taryn, the fact that the traditional model falls short. Taryn, can you expand on that a little bit? What about traditional teaching, whether, you know, how you may be taught when you still taught a little bit of the elements of traditional teaching or your own experience as a student um, didn't appropriately prepare you for life after high school? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that the self-pacing aspect of this model is what's most applicable to um, a college experience, whereas a traditional model where each student is just going along with the rest of the class, they're not stopping to, you know, assess their own learning or they don't have any control over their own learning can make them kind of complacent with it, right? Like, okay, teacher's moving on, so I have to move on. Or this is due this day. Oh, no, it's past. I give up on that. Versus in college, you know, you set your own schedule. You you do work when you have time to do work. Um, and it's up to you to figure out when you're going to study, when you're going to work on these lessons. Because, you know, you might have one or two big grades in a class and that's it. So it's really important to be able to uh, be responsible for yourself. And so I think that traditional teaching puts a lot of the um, responsibility as far as the pacing goes, as far as the work, the due dates, things like that. It puts it all on the teacher. And so the teacher is the one who is setting the pace. The teacher is the one who is setting the due dates versus modern classrooms where my students, right, they tell me all the time, all right, can I move on, right? I'm ready to move on. I did extra work over the weekend. I found some time after uh, class today. I just really dove in. I felt really motivated. Can I move on? And I love that because that's how I felt in college is I would get these bursts of motivation and I would, you know, get through a lot of my own work. And so um, I hope that they take that as they move on to college. And I hope that they continue to work on their um, self-pacing skills because I really emphasize that at the beginning of the year, that this is a skill and that this is difficult, but it's going to be so worth it in the end. Yeah, no, I really, really like that. And Wesley, can you expand on this? Because I remember when I was new to Eastern and I feel like I was like a young buck of a teacher and took this perspective that I just got to give my kids everything. Like, let me just pour every single thing into them. And my favorite thing about chatting with veteran teachers is they kind of look at you and you say that and you're like, no, that's actually not what's best for kids. And I think it all kind of rests on this idea of helping kids instill personal responsibility, like understanding that they are in control of their actions. And oftentimes, um, if they don't execute, they have to understand what the consequences are. Can you talk a little bit about, A, like your perspective on this in the classroom, and B, why it's so uniquely important given that you teach CTE and particularly a biomedical sciences course? Can you expand on that? Yeah, the the, the, the funny thing is, being 
that I've taught that long, you know, you see a lot of brand new teachers who come in and, and want to say, you know, change the world. And that's great. You know, that energy is really great, but a lot of times they'll, they'll do that. They'll want to throw everything in and it's just not sustainable. It's hard to maintain that uh, enthusiasm with traditional teaching. Uh, you know, I, one of the first things I say at the beginning of the school year is on the very first day is this is the longest you'll ever hear me talk in front of class because that's the thing about traditional uh, classrooms. And so the most important thing for me, and especially in biomedical, is to work with them. And I can't work with them if I'm lecturing at them. You know, I can't work with the students. I can't do those skills that I mentioned earlier. I can't interview with individual students and have meetings if I'm lecturing in front of them for you know 80 minutes a day or 45 minutes or however long the class is. And so one of the most important things to get away from that traditional model is to let me do more one-on-one work and more work with individual students. And so I think traditional forms fall short in that you have a teacher lecturing and just producing all this information and spreading all this information that nobody may be understanding and nobody is really listening or very few of them are really listening. And so the good thing about the modern classrooms way is the fact that not only are you still giving information out, but you're doing it efficiently. You're doing it in a way that you can verify that they're learning, that you're, that you free up your time to work with students who have misunderstandings. Your time in classroom is so much more valuable doing it this way than traditional classrooms. You know, I would, I would be exhausted at the end of the day if I stood up and lectured for 80 minutes, not in time to mention horse by the time I got through. So I think that's, that's kind of my thinking on where traditional classrooms fall short. And, you know, McCammon, what you bring up there is something really interesting because I've obviously transitioned out of the classroom and now I'm the leader of an organization. So I manage a lot of people and we are in a career setting, right? Where people are actually navigating what it's like to be in a job setting. And I don't lecture at staff. Like I don't bring staff onto a call and say, let me talk at you for 50 minutes or an hour. It doesn't make any sense. Instead, all the action drives through one-on-one and small group meetings where you're actually exploring, discussing, thinking, providing support, leaning on others to support you. And that's exactly what you're describing, right? The career setting doesn't actually look anything like a traditional classroom, nor does college. You know, one of the things I heard you mention, Taryn, is like this idea of self-pacing being so important in college. I remember the first time I told my students, there isn't really any classwork in college. Like you don't sit in class and just like do work. Instead, you spend 85% of your time outside of class trying to build competency and execute on skills. And you're left to your own devices to manage your own time, figure out who to collaborate with, figure out what tools and resources to support you. Um, So it's such an interesting concept because a lot of times I hear folks say things like, well, does modern classrooms prepare people for college? Because in college, they lecture. And I always remind folks, they're lecturing for a very small percentage of the day. You're only going to three hours of class for any given class a week, maybe 15 hours total in a week. The rest of that time is students having to engage in self-directed learning, being in the driver's seat, figuring out how to use the tools available to them. So in many ways, we're trying to emulate those skills every single day. So I think that's so, so critical. And you both have isolated why, whether you're going on to a career or you're going on to a two-year or four-year university, the same ideas apply. Um, and that's critical. So can we talk a little bit now about what the model specifically, like what are the skills that you all think this model reinforces in students? Um, separate of the actual academic skills. So what are those like 21st century skills that you would isolate and say, 
the modern classroom project really isolates kids' ability to do X, Y, Z. Wesley, why don't you go ahead and start and pick a couple of them that you think are most important as kids translate, you know, the things that they're learning to a career setting. Sure. I mean, it's really interesting what, what you had just said about uh, it mimicking the workplace because that's what I try to do. I don't, I don't even call them classroom rules anymore. I call them employee handbook. Uh, that's, that's the way it's labeled in my classroom because we're trying to prepare them for that, that role. And I think um, one of the most important things we can do is prepare them for that self-paced ability to, in college. Why would we prepare them to sit in lecture? Why would we have them practice doing that? We practice with them and encourage them on the skills that they're going to need outside of that lecture hall. And that's why it's so important in, in high school. Uh, specifically for the modern classrooms model, uh, again, as I was saying, what we need to make sure that we are able to do is to work with those small groups. And so the model really allows me to focus in on misconceptions and allows me to do a lot of interviewing. And so while a majority of the students are working on instructional video, um, they're working on a project, they're, they're producing something, I have what I call my nest. You've seen it. It's at the front of my room. It has nothing on it. It's just one chair on one side, one chair on the other, maybe a couple of chairs. And so the students will really come to me when they're ready to do their mastery check. Sometimes it's an oral mastery check. It's an interview. Sometimes it's a question and answer. But the model really lets me hone in on who is learning what and at what level. And so when I give somebody a mastery, because I use stamps, I use a three or a four stamp. (laughs) That's what I consider mastery. But for them to demonstrate mastery as either the three or four level, I have to know what they know. And so this, the, the, the way that we do mastery checks really lets me hone in and know what each individual knows. And I couldn't do that if we were in a full room. And so one of the, the most important things I think about when I think about modern classrooms is the importance of those mastery checks and being able to know what students know. Before I taught this way, I, I never knew what students know. I never knew, I never could tell how much a student retained of my lecture. I mean, they took a test. And I said, oh, well, you know, half of them failed, half of them passed, let's move on. But now I can actually know exactly what that student knows. I know how much they have grown. I know how much they need to go back and revise. And so to me, that's one of the best parts of this model is the fact that now I know when I give somebody a mastery, I, I know that they have mastered that content. They, they are able to describe it in such a way that lets me know that they have learned the material. And to me, that's so powerful, so much more powerful than just a traditional 60 question exam or, you know, 25 question exam is that I know what students know. The other thing that I think is really powerful about the model is the fact that using these instructional videos free me up. So when I'm not doing a master check at my nest or when I'm pulling students with misconceptions into my nest, I'm able to travel around the room and enjoy my students. And so it's really brought the joy back to education for me. Uh, You know, being that I've taught for 24 years, there were several years there at the beginning where I taught a traditional you know, I lectured, I gave a test. It was a traditional science classroom. We did a lab every once in a while, but it was really joyless. And because of modern classrooms, it's brought such a joy back to me. And, and I get excited about education. I get excited about, I get excited about grading papers even, even though I don't have that many papers, but I, I get excited about doing the work of education in a way that I haven't had since that first couple of years that you mentioned coming in and, you know, wanting to save the world. But I have that joy back and that excitement about education. And that's one of the best things about the model as well. Yeah, you know, you've isolated something really interesting, which is this idea of sort of interview style engagement with kids. I mean, first of all, the fact that it's actually functionally impossible to do if you're lecturing because there's just not enough time, right? So you actually can't assess kids that way. 
but it also reinforces this idea that like the workplace isn't actually that rigid. I mean, there's certainly some work environments that are that rigid, certainly not work environments I want to be a part of, but the large bulk of a work environment is a constant flow of conversations in one-on-one and small group settings. And the way that we pull out whether or not someone is on the same page as you or understanding what they're doing is actually to have them articulate their understanding verbally most of the time, right? And I think that's such an interesting piece because that is so not the case in a traditional setting because it is functionally inefficient and impossible to execute. And I have seen your class in action and that nest is absolutely everything, right? I mean, you just if you just walk into Wes and McCammon's class and just watch the nest, you will see the learning happen time after time. And it is totally like, a bunch of students coming in and checking in in your office and giving a kind of temperature check. Where are you at? What are you doing? What's going on? It's a powerful way to emulate what I think they would should be prepared for when they actually interact with their boss. So I love that. And obviously instilling the joy. I mean, the conversations are what's enjoyable about any sort of environment. So I love that. Taryn, can you talk a little bit about in your perspective? And I know you've mentioned a little bit with, with regards to self-pacing, but some of these 21st century skills you would isolate as, as really powerful and profound that you're helping your students build, knowing that they're going to leave your classroom and eventually go to most likely a two-year or four-year university. Yeah. So I think I'm just going to echo a lot of what y'all have already said, which, you know, I was sitting here thinking, um, and I was thinking like a sociology teacher, I teach my kids about uh, the hidden curriculum of school, right? That school is not just to teach you reading, writing, arithmetic, but it is there to socialize you, to give you those skills uh, that you need in adulthood. And so I guess I would say that the hidden curriculum that comes with the Modern Classrooms Project is twofold. Again, what y'all have already said, this understanding of what learning is and a responsibility for one's own learning, um, which I think are the most profound parts of the model, right? My, My kids... When they do a mastery check, they understand this is not just a quiz that I do so I can move on. This is a quiz that checks what I know so that I can fully comprehend the content so that I will be successful later on when my mastery is checked again. Um, And so they have this understanding of their own knowledge and they feel responsible for their own learning. Um, I also wanted to pick up what y'all were talking about, you know, as one of those uh, newly minted teachers, right, who has a lot of energy, people always comment on my energy, but it, I mean, it's hard, <laughs> like teaching just for two years with a standard model for my room, which again, I tried my best to implement parts of modern classrooms that I was watching in Bernadette's classroom and that I got from the education video it still was exhausting. Um, And it was so defeating to not be able to reach every kid, to have to tell a kid, we got to move on. I've got to get through this curriculum. I'm so sorry. But then this year, it's been such a difference. Even though we're, we're fully online until the 16th, but you know, I've still made such good connections with my kids this year. And I think it's because of modern classrooms that I, I have sort of a virtual nest, you know, I use breakout rooms for my nests and I, I meet with them one-on-one and we have these important conversations. And I hope that they take that on to college, you know, where meeting with a professor can be extremely nerve wracking um, and asking for what you need for your understanding and your education can be really nerve wracking. 
but it's so necessary. I got so much out of my one-on-one meetings with my professors. And so I hope that they take that as well, um, that little bit of courage to, you know, jump from their breakout room to the main room and say, hey, Miss Edwards, let's do a one-on-one. Or, hey, can you stay after class? I need a one-on-one um, to work on this skill. Or I didn't do the- well on this mastery check. Can we discuss? And so, um, yeah, I just see I just see it as completely applicable to what's coming around the bend for them. You know, you bring up something so powerful and I talk about this all the time, which is this idea of self-awareness. You know, when you teach in a traditional setting, kids are not necessarily registering the purpose of mastering a skill, largely because we've conditioned them to just think, look, as long as I turn this thing in, I'll get a grade. And as long as I turn all the other things in, I'll get some grade that's above an F. Um, and in some cases, if I really care about my grade, I'm chasing after an A. Other cases, I'm comfortable with a C. You know, all that kind of type of work that's a lot of just like turning in papers and busy work. And we totally remove the importance of us asking ourselves and the kids asking themselves, do I actually know what I'm doing? And if not, what do I need to do to figure it out? The problem with conditioning kids to think that is then you go into the real world. No one actually reminds you that you actually have to be cognizant of what you do and do not know, but you will just get punished if you're not actually ready. And I think about this in the career setting. Like if you're in the medical field, like you can't just like casually stumble into something and go through the motions. You either know how to do it or you don't. If you don't, you're in trouble and you won't be there for long. And I really think that what this model does is through the lens of self-directed learning, but then that mastery check phase is it reinforces this notion to kids that if I'm going to go take a mastery check, I actually have to know what I'm doing. And if I don't know what I'm doing, I should probably take a step back and go back to my work, maybe rewatch an instructional video, maybe seek out my teacher to actually get some greater clarity, maybe talk to a colleague or a, a fellow student to understand more. And that process there is not something we should take for granted for kids. It's critical for them to be successful when they leave our classrooms and our buildings. And traditional classrooms really put that as a secondary you know, skill to take care of and, and invest in. And that's dangerous because arguably it's more important than any of the academic skills we teach our students. So I have a funny story about that. That's really funny that you mentioned that because, you know, I told you earlier that, you know, I run my classroom on a four point scale. And so I consider mastery three or four. And so students can earn a three or a four on a mastery check or an assignment or whatever, but I encourage them to revise and, you know, and, and until they get either a three or four, well, believe it or not, they don't like getting the three. Like they will, they will not, they will not be satisfied until they get the four which is great for me. Um, but I, it's just funny that you mentioned that because I, I use that line all the time. Do you want to be seen by a doctor who has achieved mastery? Of course you do. <laughs> you Nobody wants to be seen by a doctor who has not achieved mastery at a particular skill. And so I think because I, I, I make that point over and over again, like they, they're not satisfied unless they get complete mastery they, until they get a four. It's awesome because you, the, the goal is to get kids to seek that out, right? The problem I always had with the traditional setting is they weren't seeking it out. I was just like, come on, just do this. Come on, just do this. Come on, just do this. When you see that shift in kids where they're going back to previous work because they don't feel like they've mastered it yet and they feel that compelled to actually go back and revise and relearn it because they want to achieve mastery. I mean, that's a totally different ball game when it comes to self-direction, self-awareness, personal responsibility. So that stuff is really, really exciting. I was going to jump in too. I actually had a moment like that today. I had um, a student who actually really struggled at the beginning of the year. 
you know, with the self pacing today, it was such a, it was such a win. Um, she's like, can, can, can we have a one-on-one? I need to talk to you. And so I was like, yeah, of course. And she said, I did really well on, uh, the master checks for unit eight, but I, I got eights on them. I think I can get tens. So can I, can I redo them? And I was like, absolutely you can. That's awesome. So I completely agree that it does instill in students this um, motivation, this excitement about their own learning. I love that. You know, it actually, I feel like we're passing around stories now, but that's the right way to do a podcast because we actually get to share ideas. You know, I one of the coolest things I saw in one of the classrooms that I watched was a science teacher, a high school science teacher, who actually made the student verbalize, I am ready for this mastery check or I am not ready for this mastery check before they would take it. And I thought at the time, like, that seems like an unnecessary step. But then I saw it in action. And it was so interesting when you actually tell a kid, you have to actually say to me, you're ready for the mastery check. They pause and actually ask themselves for the first time, like, wait a minute, should I be taking this test or not? Like, should I be taking this little mini quiz or not? And it creates this cycle of self-reflection that I think is so missing in most classrooms that is so important. It forces students to pause, reflect, assess where they're at, and then figure out the next step. And too often, kids are just going through the motions, and it's not their fault because we've conditioned it to be that way. And it also leads to the exact stories you guys have described, which is this idea that, like, not only am I going to pause and reflect, I'm also going to say, actually, I did fine. But I think I can do even better. So I'm going to chase after a bigger goal, which is really inspiring and really, really exciting. And one of the other cool things is when students start encouraging the other, each other. Uh, yes. Like they'll say, you, you, can, you, can, you, can, you can score better than that. Why don't, you, why, don't you, why don't you take a few minutes and do it again? And I've seen a lot of that where, I, you know, there'll be some leaders in the classroom who'll say, I know you can do better than that. You, you can, you can, why don't you retake it? Totally. It makes me think of when I first became a teacher, people would talk about how you, you got to make your classroom feel like it's a team and everyone's supporting each other. And then I taught traditional. I was like, how in the heck do I do that? Like, that seems like a totally foreign concept. And then when I started using this model, it came to life organically. And I was like, that makes sense. People are deeply invested in their own success, but also realizing that their colleagues, their peers can actually achieve better than what they're putting in. And they articulate that. It is so cool to see that. I 100% agree. We're going to actually take a pause here and take a quick break to hear some love from our teachers. We'll be back. Hey, listeners, Zach here again. Today, I'm really excited to introduce you to Daniel Rios. When I listen to what he says, his experience really echoes my own. My name is Daniel Rios. I work for Arlington Public Schools. I teach seventh grade social studies and Spanish immersion. What I like the most about the modern classroom's professional development experience is that it shifted my thinking in education. It shifted my thinking and teaching practices. It also made me see that it is possible to reach out to every kid no matter the situation. It made me see also that it is possible to close the achievement gap. I see this every day in my classroom. My students have developed confidence. My students, they know that they get the support that they need. Through this system, I have been able to create engaging and meaningful learning experiences for my students, providing the right support, meet them where they are, and I have developed meaningful relationships. And on top of that, my students know 
that they have control of their learning because they have choices in my classroom now. You can create a modern classroom of your own and you can be supported by an expert teacher mentor. Consider our virtual mentorship program, which is a comprehensive training that will equip you to build a blended self-paced and mastery-based learning environment for your students. Information is in the show notes. And don't forget that we're still registering for the Summer Institute. Spots are filling up fast. So if you're interested, go to modernclassrooms.org slash summer dash institute. That's modernclassroom.org slash summer hyphen institute. Okay, so I'm going to pivot a little bit. I want to talk, you know, I want to center around this notion of competency, particularly when you're teaching courses like biomedical science and APS history. You all obviously have a set of really important skills that your students need to understand. Um, they need to master these skills to be able to handle what you're literally preparing them for, whether it's an AP exam or a career setting. But naturally, part of the core element of the model is self-pacing, and sometimes students can fall behind and not master all the skills. So can you all talk a little bit about how you manage the pressure of really having to cover a lot in one year with the challenges of sometimes students, you know, struggling to get through content at a pace that is aligned to what your pacing guide says? Taryn, can you kind of talk about this first in your AP setting? And then, Wesley, we can talk about it in your biomedical science setting. Yeah, absolutely. So not only, right, are we, were we fully online uh, this year up to this point with the pandemic, but they also changed our schedule to be a four by four schedule. So I've got my first period class that I, I see every day and I have them the entire year. That's great. I've got so much extra time with them. We can really work on self pacing. I can do a lot more check-ins with them. But then when for my fifth and seventh periods, they were semester one classes. So APUSH is already kind of a beast of a curriculum to get through by uh, May, let alone get through the entire curriculum between September and January. So it was extremely daunting. You know, my first year using the model, this was like a pretty big test with the self-pacing. And I'm not going to lie, it it is hard to pare down a course like APUSH, especially when it comes to the instructional videos, because, you know, I, I do still have those tendencies of, I just want to give them all the information. I just want to give it all to them on a silver platter and see what they do with it. But I had to really, really work with myself to cut down to the most basic elements of the lesson for the instructional video and then build in other ways for them to explore that content on their own in order to fit everything. And my kids were absolute troopers. They got through everything. We finished on time. I had two students who I did give an incomplete to, uh, but they kept in contact with me. So they're still working with me. Um, So I'd say even that like is still amazing. I, I can't believe I got through a push that quickly. There's a saying in a push where like you're on track if you kill Lincoln by Christmas. <laughs> uh, I dropped the atomic bombs by Christmas, so I was like <laughs> really proud of myself. That's awesome. Yeah, but the kids they're great, and they all said because I did so many check ins. I was just, how are you guys feeling? How are we doing? Do you feel like this amount of work is too much? Is it too little? Are we doing like? Do you understand the content? You know, do you understand the mastery checks? And I got feedback every single week from them. 
And they all said, we love the self-pacing. I love being able to work on this on my own time. You know, when I'm feeling motivated, I feel so accomplished when I, um, you know, pass a mastery check and can move on. And even with the time crunch, they all found time to even do like my aspire to do's for the course, um, which were different, you know, I had them like make DBQs. I had them, you know, do all sorts of different projects. And I still had a ton of those, which was awesome. So I was thrilled with how well it worked out. Well, and I think what it speaks to is the fact that when you set high expectations for kids, they oftentimes will rise to the occasion, assuming that the expectations have an on-ramp to success, right? Like if I tell a kid, you got to do all this crazy amount of content, by the way, I'm going to lecture at you all day and there's no structure for them to kind of put their own effort and take their own initiative. Well, that's not a particularly effective way to set powerful expectations, but it sounds like in your setting, you had a lot of ambitious kids, you set ambitious expectations, you created a very clear pathway for how they could achieve it. And they rose to the occasion. And, you know, we always want to leave room for students to be able to rise the occasion and go above and beyond. And a lot of times traditional settings put a real limitation on kids capacity to go above and beyond. So that's fantastic to hear. McCammon, I, and I call you McCammon because I taught by your side, but <laughs> it's actually Wesley. Wesley, can you share a little bit more on your end, particularly? Well, first, can you share a little bit about how a CTE course works from a competency perspective? Like, do you have a similar set of standards as, you know, Algebra 1 might have? What are you actually preparing your kids literally for? Is there some type of end of course assessment? And then what's the challenges you face in your particular setting? Uh, to execute that given, you know, the challenges of self-pacing and some kids not being particularly motivated. Sure. The, the, uh, the type of class I teach, the biomedical science course, uh, is from Project Lead the Way is the name of the curriculum that we use. And uh, th- there's a set of standards. There's a curriculum framework that we use for each course. And, and the end of course exam uh, for each course is based off of that framework. Uh, they give us a rough idea of what sections are going to be emphasized on it. We get a uh, an EOC blueprint. And so it, it narrows down what sections are the most important to put it mildly. So uh, I'm able to tailor the curriculum better because I know what sections on this year's exam will be focused on and they kind of rotate it differently each year. And so I know that this percent is going to be on this unit and this percent is going to be on this unit and this topic. And so I can make those trims where I need to trim. And so that really helps as far as pacing. Now I will, I will agree. This was the first year that I've been on four by four with this curriculum. And it it was a challenge. I'll just be honest. It was a challenge to get through uh, as much as I got through. I didn't get through. We have four units and I didn't get through all four of them. And just because of the time measurement and and I'd never taught on four by four, Uh, even in 24 years, I've never taught on four by four, but during a normal year, during when we were in person, the most important thing to do for those, those many, many weeks that we work, that they work at their own pace is to keep that reminder, you know, cause we do the progress charts and that's a big motivator. And I use these little magnets that I bought. <laughs> they turns out my whiteboard is magnetized. I don't know. Maybe they all are. I don't know, but I found out that my whiteboard was magnetized. And so I bought these little magnets to do my progress tracker on the main like whiteboard. And so it was so incredible because I encouraged them to move their magnet and then they earn, you know, they earn a stamp and they can move their magnet. And I just couldn't believe how much of a motivator that was. Like they can't wait to move their magnet and they cannot wait to get that stamp. I use a game board uh, in class to track their progress. And I just couldn't believe how much a difference that made 
to get that stamp on that paper and to move their magnet on that progress checker on the board. And so those are really two really big motivators, but it's just a matter of tailoring the curriculum and knowing, knowing what you need to cut. And that's based on our curriculum framework. The other thing that's really important about, you know, how we're going to navigate this is, is thinking about how, how deeply I want them to learn it. So something as basic as taking blood pressure and pulse, that's something that they must know how to do. And so I make sure that that skill is something that they can perform on their own. Whereas there are some skills that I know that won't necessarily be required of them in the medical field. That's a a, a nice thing for them to do in the curriculum if we had unlimited time, but it's not something that I know that they'll necessarily need to have as a skill in the medical profession, if that makes sense. And so those kind of things I can kind of trim back and make uh, an instructional video about and not necessarily have them do it. So I try to focus on the skills that I know they will need to be able to work in the medical field. You also ask about what, you know, in general, we're preparing, preparing them to do at the end of course is that end of course exam. But our course is built where in their senior year, they take the EMT class that we offer. So in each class, I'm also thinking about what skills are they going to need for that EMT course to be successful in that EMT course. And for instance, blood pressure and pulse are one of those skills. So I make sure that they get those kind of skills. Whether we have to put something on the back burner is based on those skills that I think they'll need for that EMT course for them to get their EMT license their senior year. So those, that's kind of my thought process as I build out how far I'm going to go and how deep I want to go. You know, I, it's so interesting. So first of all, you all are bringing up like this lesson prioritization piece, the lesson classifications is so interesting because it is a key stable of our model. In fact, we're actually seeing a lot of schools and districts adopt the must do, should do, aspire to do approach, even if they're not adopting our instructional approach at full scale. So you have teachers who do our model and then the whole school will say, engage in that lesson classification. Because as you said, Wesley and Taryn, this came up a little bit with you as well. It's like, we can't guarantee that we're going to hit every single standard and every kid's going to master every single one. But that's not necessarily what you actually need. What you need is kids to firmly understand what they did learn and be self-aware to know, okay, I know these core components. I may struggle on these questions. I remember when I was preparing for APs and end of course exams, there were some classes where we didn't, we weren't able to cover all the content, but I knew what I didn't learn. I knew what I did learn. I know I was going to execute on what I did learn and the parts that I did not learn. I might do a little bit of prep at the end, try to cover my bases a little bit, feel as adequately prepared as possible and still really succeed on that end of year assessment. So, you know, I think there's a, there's a feeling sometimes when you have, you know, high stakes assessments to prepare for that you have to hit every single thing and everyone has to cover everything perfectly, but that's not actually what prepares kids for a test. And when folks often ask me, um, you know, why I think this model is so valuable. One of the reasons I always bring up is, would you rather have a kid have a surface level understanding of 10 lessons or actually master eight out of 10 and never get to the other two? And I don't know a single person who ever says when posed with those two scenarios, I'd rather have a kid have a surface level understanding of 10 because intuitively it makes absolutely no sense. Um, but in practice, that's actually what most of education looks like. So I think you both have reinforced some of the many reasons uh, that this model is so particularly powerful, especially in settings like yours when you're preparing kids for high stakes environments and of course tests and of course exams, AP exams, and ultimately being ready for college and career and life after high school. So it was an absolute pleasure to have you both. Uh, Wesley, Taryn, thank you for jumping on today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Craig. 
Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org and you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Proj, that's P-R-O-J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students in schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Podcast.